0: Good morning. It's delightful to be with you today as we just sang. We're going to be talking about forgiveness here in just a moment. have got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 32. We're going to walk through that chapter here in just a moment. We are very delighted to have each of you with us today. And as Ashley said, Ashley, I think you must put energy drink in your coffee in the morning. I mean, you know, I cannot imagine your children. They don't need an alarm clock. They have an Ashley but I love that. I love the energy. I love the excitement. It's just wh- where I need to be, and I thank you so much for that. Beautiful morning today. Beautiful way to worship our God. Beautiful things already said and sung. So appreciate those things. On front of your bulletin, you see this little image. We want to just kind of give you what's coming up down the road here. Starting next Sunday, um, Jason and I are going to be doing a series about the church. There are a lot of questions folks have about the church, and what we're going to do is he's going to preach one week, I'm going to preach one week, and then when we're both home in the evenings, we're going to do a chair series built upon those concepts. We need to understand God's church, God's work, and God's way. How can a congregation do evangelism? There's all kinds of ideas out there. Who and how do we help when it comes to needs? And as we think about what the church can do, what all can we do? Can we do more than what we're doing? We look around the churches among us are doing all kinds of things today, and where does that fit in with what we try to do here? And so we're going to try to look at these both sermons in the morning and going through some questions in the evening. Hopefully, this will be helpful for you, help answer some questions you may have about why we do what we do here in these things. As Ashley said, this is Halloween. This is the time where kids dress up and go trick or treat and get candy. It's a time when people watch scary movies, go to haunted houses. But what's really scary is walking through this life without God. And what's really scary is not understanding that you can have forgiveness as God offers it to you. And so we know among us, there are those who are thinking about baptism. We know among us, there are those who are wondering about, should I be baptized? What is those things? morning we're going back to the Old Testament. Where it does not talk about baptism, but it talks about forgiveness. And it talks about a journey. And so that's where we're going to be today as we look at some things the Bible teaches. Psalms 32 is a story. A story that David tells us. It's a story about his own life. Now David, can you imagine having coffee with David? I mean, can you imagine the stories he could tell you? A story about he and that giant. Or the time he grabbed that lion or the bear by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, we could say, and he killed that thing. Or how he ran all over the country running from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. Or later in life, how his own family turned against him and tried to kill him. All the stories David could have told. But Psalm 32 is a personal story. It's a story that most of us would not want other people to know about. It's about some mistakes in your life. About some sins in your life. And David tells this story to help other people. He tells this story so others would learn from this. And that's what we're going to see, because what takes place is it's a soul that is set free. The story we know so well, it takes place to us in the book of Psalm, or, or rather the book of Samuel. Hot one evening, David decides to go outside to get some cool air. He goes to his rooftop. And as he's looking around the kingdom below him, he sees a woman bathing. She's a neighbor. She's married to one of his mighty men. She's married to a warrior who happens to be out on the front lines fighting for David. And he sees this woman, but he doesn't look away. He doesn't walk away. He sins for her. And they commit adultery. Time passes, the word comes back. She's pregnant. It's his baby. Now he's got a real problem. So he calls the soldier home. Bring the husband home. But he doesn't go to her home. He is so loyal, he stays with David. Get him drunk, and then he'll go home. He gets drunk, he still doesn't go home. So David finally says, send him back to the front lines. And for the first time ever, we're going to pull the troops back. And we're going to let them die. And he does. Time passes. The baby's born. The baby dies. God sends a prophet to him and tells them this story about this very rich man who had all kinds of sheep. And he was going to have a party. But his next-door neighbor had one little sheep so precious that sheep stayed in his home. And what this rich man did was he stole that little sheep and slaughtered it for his own selfish reasons. Then Nathan said, David, you are that man. And David breaks down. He realizes God has known this all along. He's hid this from the country. He's hid this from a husband. He's hid this from everybody but not God. God has seen his sins. And God has recognized how wrong this is. And so David breaks down, and he confesses to God. Psalms 51 is where he confesses to God. This is written after David's confession. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me whiter than snow. Now our chapter, Psalms 32, was written later. And we just pause for a moment. That tells you the Psalms are not written in order. Psalms 51 came first. Later on, Psalms 32. And what David does in Psalms 32 is some time has passed. He's looked back at this ugly story. He didn't say, I'm going to just forget this and get this out of my mind. This is a teaching tool. This is the time to help other people. And if you notice in Psalms 32, right underneath the, the title or the chapter number, you'll see this word, school. And that simply means a teaching or an instruction. He'd even say that in Psalms 51 that I will teach sinners of their ways. And that's what David does in this passage here. He's using his story to help other people. We do that all the time, don't we? We see somebody and say, Don't make the same dumb mistakes I made, don't do what I did, listen and learn from me. And so what we see here is in verses 8 through 11, that really happens to be the instruction. Reading that, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. Do not be as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check. Otherwise they should not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord and loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, your righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright at heart. Even though this is a sad, sad story about a dark page in his life, what Psalms 32 is a victory song. It's a song written of somebody who said, my soul was in prison, and now it's free. And that's why we bring it for you and me today. Because sometimes because of sin, our souls are in prison. And we need to get the release and the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, the story takes place in the first seven verses here. And what we read here in the first seven verses, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever of heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when they may find you, Surely in the flood of great waters, when they reach him, you are my hiding place, you preserve me from trouble, you surround me with the songs of deliverance. And what we find here in Psalms 32 is this powerful instruction that helps us. We begin, first of all, by understanding some things here. Spiritual people can make a mess of their lives. David was a giant among God's people. Every king that's good after this point is pointed back to David. Yet spiritual people can make a mess. Important people. He was a king. Important people always don't make the best decisions. That's true of David here. And so many times, one sin leads to more sins. And that happened with David. It is said that Augustine loved this passage so much that he had it inscribed on his wall so every night when he went to bed, he could see that very concept. A famous humanist by the name of Lasky said this. She goes, what I envy most about you Christians is forgiveness. You have someone to forgive you, and I don't. And actually, she does if she'd only follow what the Bible teaches. What's interesting about Psalms 32 is there's a series of triplets. And that's what I want to walk through with you. It begins, first of all, with the triplet of sin. He says in verse 1 and 2, he acknowledges three different words about sin. He first of all says transgression. Transgression is to cross the line. It is apostasy. It's rebellion. It's doing things that's not right. We think the word trans, it means cross. Transportation. Transgression is to cross the line with God. You ever notice, and this is more of a guy thing, we're with our wives somewhere and, and, and we're walking along, and we see this little sign that says wet paint. What do we do? And then we say, look at that. And we think, it said wet paint. Why did you do it? Well, I just wanted to see if it was wet. Why, why do we transgress God's law? He says, the, here's the rule, but we just, I just got to see. Well, look at that. Look what happened. That's what transgression means. The word sin means to miss the mark. It means to fall short you're talking about bowling, we describe it as a gutter ball. you're talking about baseball, it's four balls and you're on first base. It's to miss the mark that God has for us. book of Romans chapter 3 would tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin appears over 800 times in the Bible. About every two pages, you'll find this word sin, because we have fallen short. God has this for you. This is what I want you to do. This is how you should live, and we fall short. The next word he uses is the word iniquity. Iniquity is the idea of deceiving. Iniquity is the idea of covering something up. Iniquity is is something that, again, describes how we're not right with God in all these ways. And what we see with these three words, transgressions are relationship with God. You've rebelled against God. It's against God. For instance, if you go back to Psalms 51, this passage where David first confesses his sins, notice what he says in Psalms 51 as he talks about these very things. He says in verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned. It is against God, not with God, not for God, but against God. Transgression describes your relationship with God. God went right, you went left. Sin describes your relationship with God's law. You fell short. You didn't obey the Bible. That's what sin means. And iniquity is our relationship with ourselves. We covered it up, we lied, we hid it, we deceived ourselves. And in all of those three words, again, what we see is a heart that's not right with God. But now, immediately after this, we find another series of triplets. We see sin's effect upon David. Notice, if you will, with me, verse 3, verse 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. I was like an old man. You might say, well, that's kind of insulting. Well, talk to some of our old men. They don't get up in the morning like Ashley does. They're not full of energy. It takes a while to get up. It takes a while to get your giddy up to get up. And sometimes you got to start the day with a bunch of pills. And sometimes you don't move very fast. And David said, this is the effect sin had on me. I felt like I was just an old man. He said, I felt like God's hand was upon me. The wrath of God was upon me. He would say that again. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through all the groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He's talking about guilt. I can't sleep because I know I've done wrong. I mean, I can go out there and pick flowers, and I can be nice, and I can smile. But that guilt thing is still there. And then David felt like he had a fever, like a fever on a summer day, like I was in a desert, he says, And all of this is describing, once again, the concept of what it was like to be in sin. And so mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, David felt the consequences of sin. The fun of sin was replaced with the agony of guilt. What you don't read in the book of Psalms chapter 51 or 32 was, Man, it was a good time. Oh, it was fun. She was something else. No, what you read about is, I sinned. I transgress. I crossed the line. And the pleasure of sin was replaced with the misery of spiritual loneliness. Where is God? God hadn't moved. Who moved? David had moved, and then the faultless choice of sin was replaced with the eternal doom-waiting him. This is where it gets a lot of us. It's where it got me. I grew up going to church every Sunday, but it wasn't until my high school year, my senior year in high school, that I was baptized. And I went to a school that was very, very rough and tough. I remember sitting in an English class one time, and they were passing this note, and it's full of seeds. And the guys were just eating seeds. It came to me, and I just passed it on, I didn't know what it was. It was marijuana seeds. We had such a drug problem in my high school that we had a full time narcotic agent. It was nothing to see a kid walking down the hallway with a policeman in handcuffs at least once a week. Smoking was so bad. They thought, we'll take the door off the boys' bathroom and stop the smoking. All I did was fill it in the classrooms, and most of it was marijuana smoke. Tony Snow sat behind me about this time of year. We were both seniors. One more semester, and we graduated. Tony Snow decided to take a gun and rob a liquor store. He was caught and sent to prison for 20 years. That's the type of high school I went to. I didn't cuss. I didn't do the drugs. And when I looked at that environment, I was a good kid. But I didn't have Jesus Christ. But I wasn't saved from my sins. But if I died, I wasn't going to heaven. And so when we think about this, salvation is not just for the worst of the worst. It's not just for the wicked. It's for all of us. And as Edwin preached for us this past week, how wonderful it is to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, not just to escape hell, but to live the best way God wants us to live, to follow Jesus, to learn about forgiveness and righteousness and hope and all those things that we see and how appreciative that is. Now, Psalms 32 gives us another triplet. It's a triplet of confession now. Now, the word confession... Simply means to speak the same thing. We would use the illustration of an echo. You know, you're in a cave and you say, hello. And you hear, goodbye. Run, run. That's not saying the same thing, is it? So when God says, you sinned. And I say, yeah, I had a bad day. No, I'm not saying the same thing. God said, you sinned. And I say, well, I'm just not myself these days. No, you haven't said the same thing, have you? God says you sinned, and I said, well, I've just been tired a lot. That's not the same thing. And so when you go back and look at this passage, look at verse 5 once again. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Confession is an agreement. I have sinned. A lot of times we have a hard time saying those words. We have a hard time saying, I love you, and we have a hard time saying, I have sinned. Oh, yeah, I messed up a little bit. I told a little white lie. You, know, you notice how we make it not so bad? I, you know, I, I, I probably should have gone to church. I could have, but it's a pretty day, and I decided not to. And it, it's okay. You know, God's grace is out there. And, and, and what we do is we cover those things up. But what David did is he spoke the same God said, you sinned, and David says, I acknowledge my sin. He didn't say, that woman shouldn't have been bathing like that in broad daylight. He didn't say, well, she should have had a curtain around her. Nothing is said about her because it was David's sin that God called him to. And then there's that acknowledgment to God. Acknowledging that he was not right. I acknowledge my sin to you. A nationally well-known preacher resigned not too long ago, and he said this to his congregation. I stepped over the line of acceptable behavior with some members of this congregation. I tried to face unspecified childhood issues that I've been involved in in years of denial and faulty coping mechanisms. What does that mean? What that means is he didn't confess. Blaming his childhood. Blaming his mechanisms. Rather than acknowledging that I've sinned. And then David accepted the responsibility. There was no one to blame. There was no one fault but his own. And again, we see that concept as it comes about here. And again, what Psalms 32 does for us, as David is telling his story, Christian after Christian in this congregation could get up here and tell the same thing. They could tell you their story. Before I became a Christian, no, it wasn't pretty. Oh, I did this, and I did that, and I did that. But when we start going down the road of sin and being honest with God, it's a picture we don't all like. Here's a story I want to read to you. It says, Mary McCarthy, a 67-year-old retired cleaning woman from Chicago, says working long hours and harsh winters prevented her from taking out her garbage for 17 years years. City sanitation crews bearing a search warrant entered the woman's home Friday and spent the next three days hauling away 20 tons of refuge that accumulated in the maggot, cockroach, and rat infested house. Neighbors said the small gray south side house emitted a particular foul stench. Mrs. McCartney said, I didn't get time to take it out. I worked 5 in the evening to 12, and during the day, I took care of a neighbor of mine who was sick. In the winter, I couldn't take it out because the snow was blocking the way. I couldn't shovel it. To remove the rubble, the workers had to take the front door off of Mrs. McCartney's, off its hinges, the door off the hinges. City inspectors said there was so much garbage in the frame house, the door wouldn't open, and there's barely enough room to move around. And if I could give you a weekend free there, would you take it? Are you serious? Who could live like that? And yet the God of heaven looks at your heart and says, how can you live like that? You've got rubbish in your heart. You've got hatred in your heart. You've got lust in your heart. Why are you living like that? And do we come to the conclusion where David did, I acknowledge, I confess, I understand these things. And then we go again to another series of triplets here in Psalms chapter 32, and that's the freedom found in Jesus Christ. Found here in God, as David was confessing these things to God. It says in verse 1 and verse 2 of Psalms 32, how blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven. Washed away, lifting the burden off is what that means. The idea that you're carrying this weight and you can't carry it anymore. The prison doors are opened and God is granting you freedom. A second chance. He also says in this passage, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That goes back to the Old Testament with the lambs, where they would sprinkle the blood of the lamb, and they would be an escape goat, and how God would cover that lamb with that, the blood of atonement. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says in the next verse, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Impute means to count. It's a financial term. It means to look at these things. And so what God is saying is, here's my book. The books are open. But I'm not writing your sin in this book because your sin has been removed. Now take your New Testaments and let's notice that same flavor, if you will. Acts chapter 2, notice verse 38. As Peter preaches the salvation in Jesus Christ and who Jesus was, the people interrupt him and say in verse 37, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts chapter 22, as we look in verse 16, as the Apostle Paul is retelling his story, once again we find this wonderful expression about salvation. Why do you de- delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Acts 3 talks about the sins being blotted out. Revelation 1 talks about being washed in the blood of Jesus. What this is, is the sins are gone. I don't see anything there. You owe me nothing, God says. You're now my child. You're now belonging to me. And this is the freedom. and This is the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And so David, when he lived, could confess his sins to God. David lived that side of the cross. You and I live on this side of the cross. So when I have been guilty, I am broken. I have sinned. If I'm not a child of God, what I need to do is repent. That means turn. Turn. You were going this way, you now need to go this way. You did what you wanted to do, you need to do what God wants you to do. You followed yourself, now you got to follow God. That's the idea of discipleship. And then be baptized. Be immersed, as the Bible t- uses that word. Wash away those sins. As one person says, the water for Christo is made in Waterford Island. The gla- glassware is expensive and beautiful, but if dropped, it shatters. Even glued, it never looks the same. But God can take a broken you. And make you better than you've ever been before. What Psalms 32 presents for us in this series of threes here's what sin is, here's what sin does to you, here's what confession is like, and here's what forgiveness is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And what we should see from that is as we walk through life that you and I need Jesus Christ, we need his salvation, we need his hope. Just saying, you know what, I know I've done a couple things I shouldn't have done, but I'm going to be a little bit better. That doesn't do, that's not good enough. You've got to have the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation. Freedom from that prison. Jesus said in John chapter 8, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from hell. Free from Satan. Free from the consequences. Free no longer to do whatever you want to do, but free to follow Jesus all the way to heaven. Bob Moorhead, one of my favorite writers, I just love how he writes. He wrote this little thing called A Sense of Direction. He says, I am saved, sanctified, surrendered, and sent. I've caught the vision. I'm on the venture. I can see the victory. I can see the valor. I become valiant and vocal. The hour is late, the situation desperate, the need urgent. I must run, not walk. Speak now, not later. Act, not tarry. Preach, not pamper. Confront, not coddle. Move, not meander. Speak, not sputter. Proclaim, not procrastinate. Share, not shirk. Soar, not sit. Burn, not smolder. I cannot wait. I must not linger. I dare not stop. I will not defer. I will set my course. I won't look back, let up, lie down, or let loose. The world is lost, and time is now. Man is doomed. Sin is rampant. The Lord is ready. The harvest waiting. The gospel powerful. The spirit convicting. The need is great. There is no time for elaborate plans, for casualness, Corralling, curtailing, conforming, conferring. No time for detours, coffee breaks, sick leaves, sabbaticals. The curtain is falling. The act is over. The players are leaving. The lights are out. No timeouts left. The band is marching off the field. The clock is stopped. The game is over. We can wait no longer. I am headed for a new city and a new home where I'll dwell with a new name and a new age. I know where I've been, I know where I am, and I know where I'm going. The time is now. You think about the last lesson we had on Wednesday evening, and we think about the things that we need to see and how important they are with Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're not a Christian, when? Another five years? What if you don't have five years? 10 years, Well, if you don't have 10 years? Oh, when I get things settled down, well, things never get settled down. Later on, well, if there is no later on. If you've never been baptized in Jesus Christ, when? You've got to answer that question. When are you going to do it? Or are you going to stand before the throne of God one day and say, you know what? I don't want to be baptized. I'm never going to be baptized. And I don't care what your book says. You know where that's going to take you? Very fast. You know, and I know. And we know what the Bible says. And we know how we need to follow Jesus. Jesus, the loving Savior. Jesus, the compassionate one. The Jesus who's done everything. The Jesus who went to places no one else would ever go. He went to Samaria, as we studied this past week. He went to, and talked to people who no one else would talk to, like a tax collector. He looked up in that tree, and there was little Zacchaeus. And what did he say? Come down. I'm going to your house. Nobody goes to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus did. If you'd been up that tree, Jesus would say, come on down. I'm coming to your house. Because he wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants you to set on you on that path. That's right. So Psalms 32 is written to us so we don't make that mistake. David said, "Here's my story." It's not about giants' heads coming off, it's not me slaying lions. The story I want you to know about me is I sinned. I transgressed. I committed iniquity against the God of heaven. But because of the grace of God, he forgave me. He released me. He counted this not against me ever again. That's the story I want you to know. And that's the story you need to know. Brother Bill could could get up here and tell that story. I can tell that story. Everyone who's a Christian here can tell that story. It's not here's where I went to school, here's what I did. The thing you need to know most about us is that we have sinned. We have transgressed. We've committed iniquity. But the graciousness of Jesus Christ, through his blood, forgave us. And we stand here today honoring him who loves us so much. He wants us to spend forever in heaven. That's the story of the Bible. If you've never done that, you need to do that. If you're one among us, and maybe you're like a David. You're a follower of God, but you messed up. You sinned. That doesn't just go away. It doesn't evaporate. It's there until you do something with it. If you need the prayers, we're here to pray. We are family, and that's what family does. We hold hands. We get in this together because we want everyone to go to heaven. If you're subbing, won't you come as we're dancing?